Content, information, and opinions expressed during the related show are those of the show personalities and guest alone, and not those of Vic Canellis Media Group, its parent, affiliates, or stations. VCMG Live is not responsible for any content, information, or opinions expressed. User bears full responsibility for their reliance on such content, information, or opinions. Monday night, just past 7 o'clock, and it's time for Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsama. We are live in the studio. A lot of, uh, you know, sports outlets around the country seem to be phoning it in this time of year. We're not. Got some great guests on tap for you. You've been out and about as well, doing something that you... Where have you been, Ira? Because this is like what? You've been going to every NBA draft since like 1979. You saw magic come out. <laughs> well, for a long, long time. The NBA draft in the Barclays Center. I love it. I love going to the draft. It's a great event. And I'm like, if you had like a kid that loves like the NBA, like this is something totally different. But this is fun. Like it is fun to come and see because really, unlike the NFL draft, which you see a million people on the streets. I haven't been to one since they left New York or the Radio City Music Hall. But the Barclays Center draft, you're seeing sitting in there and the players are getting rafted, drafted to your left and your right in the second round and I was only a few rows from the from the court so you could mm-hmm. see all the players the green room is in the front the big difference is the green room is there in the front of the draft not in the back so you see the players you see the interaction with the coaches I love it yeah I mean last year you were talking to coaches uh, you know you got the players right there is really cool that's a much more intimate setting than now the NBA draft I mean the NFL draft is drawing a million people uh, filling the streets of Nashville and Vegas and the like Two great guests today. First up is going to be Jonathan Clegg. And with, you know, basketball and hockey ending, this may be the biggest thing going on in South Florida. Now, Jonathan Clegg is going to tell us about it. Well, yeah, with Lionel Messi's coming to enter Miami, this is huge, as we're going to talk about on, on the, with, with Jonathan. He, we are. It's not Pele at the end of his career. We're getting the superstar, one of the great, the greatest soccer player, uh, one of the three greatest of all time. And right now, one of the greatest playing is coming into Miami and playing. And is we're going to point out, it's selling out everything. It's just going to be huge. And uh, for Miami, for everything, for soccer, for sports. I mean, I'm, I haven't been to a soccer MLS match ever. I'm definitely going to go <laughs> see a match. I want to see what it's all about in terms of the excitement from that. So um, it's we'll talk to him about it. He wrote a book called Messi vs. Ronaldo. He's one of the experts on soccer. He writes a senior editor for the Wall Street Journal. Can't wait to have him on the show. Yeah, that'll be about 7.15. Then around 7.40, uh, NHL and Florida Panthers legend John Van Beesbrook. Yeah, a star goalie, one of the greatest goalies of all time in terms of wins. I think one of the top, I think, 12 or 13 number of wins. Uh, one of the best American goalies of, of all time. And also the, one of the heads of USA Hockey. So we're going to talk about the Rangers and about the Panthers. Certainly he took the Panthers when they went to the Stanley Cup Finals two decades ago. And now they're excited that they came back this a few weeks ago to the Finals. And then talk about USA Hockey and the fact that Boy, it, when we're, the miracle on ice was the miracle because no one thought America now, with all these great young players in America, this is like now it's going to be expected. It's no, no longer a miracle. It's mm-hmm. going to be a disappointment on ice <laughs> if they don't win the gold. <laughs> so something interesting happened over the weekend. You get into 99.9% of sporting events that you want to attend. I think maybe one thing in the, you know, the years we've been doing this show you couldn't get into. 
You couldn't get into a game yesterday, but there was an interesting reason why. Well, because I was delayed for five hours at Newark Airport. We, I was going with Mike to the Marlins Pirate game, and I was leaving New York at 6 a.m., and I sat for five hours in the Newark Airport. It was like delay by an hour, hour, hour. And so a five, I gave myself a three-and-a-half-hour delay, and I feel so bad because I wanted to see the game and the Pirates, and we were pumped for that. But, boy, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to fly same day. It scares me. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky it was just Marlins Pirates. Like, if it was like a big... <laughs> Game NBA finals, I, yeah, game NBA finals I would be, uh, but it's uh, that is it is that is a problem with flying and getting around to these events now that it's hard to fly into these and do the things that I like to do. But I was really disappointed. But you got to go to the game, so yeah, I'm I went jealous. anyway. I, I wanted to see Yuri Perez, and we'll talk more about baseball later. I was a little dis- I, I would say five percent Pirates fans. Really not well represented. I, I thought there'd be a lot more Marlins fans came out in droves though, which is really good for this. You know, the, people. They, they say, you know, you want a winner, whereas Tampa Bay always wins and they can't get any fans. Marlins have been good this year, and the fans came out for it. The, the lower level was full and almost all the, the upper level. It's really good to see. That's great. You know, the Pirates have internationally. That's what my frustration level. They still have the, this color scheme that the Steelers have. And you would think that the Steelers fans, like if the Steelers played the Dolphins. In a, It'd be 50% minimum. 60%, yeah. 70% Steelers fans. I, I, I was there at a game, and it's like it seemed like, boy, there's a lot of Dolphin fans here at the game. Like more than you would say. It seemed like a home game. But I just— it's the Pirates, they just have been losers for so long yeah. that they just have lost the. And it's a great name. The Pirates, they have a great nickname. Great uh, stadium. Uh, stadium. Everything about it except putting winner on the <laughs> except field. Except the owners. Yes. <laughs> Same thing with the uh, Penguins game here. Penguins versus Panthers. Pe- Penguins fans take over uh, the FLA Live Arena. So let's talk about the draft. We'd mentioned it before. This is something that's not new to you. <laughs> you go to this pretty much every year. Yeah, a little different this year is that they got rid of the catwalk. You know, all the players have these crazy outfits they have on, which are pretty cool. But they they got rid of that catwalk. They put more uh, tables on the floor. You saw the players with the balls on the floor, like holding these gold balls in terms of where when they were doing uh, pictures with them. But I thought it was and another great thing they did was that when a player was drafted, his family's around there. And I love the fact that when a player is drafted, he goes around and hugs every single one at his table, at his family. It, it, this is, when you look at a Zion Williamson, a John Morant, these players, this means so much to them. And I, it, it's not just, oh, look, they got rich. I really think it's way more than that. I think it's just, I want to I want to not look, view it as just the money aspect. I view it as these players have sacrificed, the families have sacrificed, they've driven their players around, and this is their chance to really get a, a rewarded for it. And I think these players are determined. Now, these are the first round picks. The second round picks are in the stands behind me, and they're as these superstar players that were like Jalen Wilson of Kansas, who was a star of the national championship, is sitting just in, in the it's one o'clock in the morning, the whole place is empty. You got to think he's looking and saying, I have pictures of him. He's focused. He's like, I'm going to show everyone. So I think that when you look at a John Miranda and a Zion, who, who they seem to have other diversions, Zion doesn't want to get in shape, John wants to do other things. Trust me, if you don't want to be in it, these other players are going to take your position. There are a lot of players out there, whether they're foreign players or players from America, that really want this. And that's what I, I, I think it's great. And I just, I love, I was with Prosper, the, the, the family. There must have been 30 of his family members around me. And his father and his father's brother, when he was selected uh, from a Marquette player, they hugged for like five minutes. Like they just, mm-hmm. I mean, people, the joy. And, and. This is so big. I just love being in, I love it because I love sports and I love the emotion. I love when you get and see this. And these players, it really meant, you knew they were going to be drafted. But, and, and, and Cam Whitner more fell a few spots or whatever. But it's just, I think for their perspective and their family's perspective, I love the fact they're on the floor and uh, they walk up there and, and Adam Silver shakes their hand and you know, they get the picture and they can, it's just, I love it. And every, it's, it's just a great atmosphere. Follow Ira anywhere on social media. See pictures from the NBA draft at Ira on sports. 
So, Ira, let's talk about what actually happened. This was probably as much of a foregone conclusion for number one overall pick as we've seen since LeBron James with Victor Wembanyama going to the Spurs. Boy, everything about him, he, he comes, people don't really know much about him. He was a player that played, the, unlike some of these other foreign players that were sort of hidden in, in the foreign, you know, the system and hadn't played, he was a star player on his team and his team wasn't that good and he took him to the finals and he's scored, he play, he's played great, he has all the skill level. He comes over to America and didn't disappoint. Comes off the plane, signing autographs. His interviews are tremendous. Focus. People are talking to him. Says he's already doing the diet, the the strength thing. I mean, his mindset is. Uh, he got criticized now because he's not going to play in the World Championships for FIBA, which is this year. They changed it so it's this year, and then the next year is the Olympics. So because he's like, I he's going to do the Olympics. They they moved it so it's, it used to be every two years for soccer. They sort of messed it mm -hmm. around with how they do it. But um, I I feel like he just won the room, won everybody. He signed autographs. Uh, was just in the interviews tremendous focused uh, just one of the things that people were no one knew about him but he did not he seemed like he's only 19 years old mm -hmm. and he seemed everything and like they took people are going saying well we saw videos and he, he missed a couple of shots and all these <laughs> other things and, and he's going to the perfect place the Spurs is perfect uh, Tony Parker from France uh, played there a uh, Hall of Fame player was tremendous at, at, at there and I think that they're they've worked with foreign players Ginobili Popovich also going to a town where he's not going to be the media is not going to there's like a couple newspapers and it's not going to be that thing I think it's the perfect situation for him to grow and develop but he doesn't he seems like he could go anywhere he really he mm -hmm. really I took I just saw you can watch someone I was so close to him and so he just interacts with he's very comfortable talking to people and and work with people his English is perfect and uh, what a what a great pick and, and I'm excited I want to see I mean I've never seen someone besides LeBron that people was like he's guaranteed like if he's just a, a perennial all-star that's not enough I mean they want him to be <laughs> a top 20 in the history and be a best player that's why I definitely want to be at this draft to see him get drafted and exciting for the Spurs and excited for him there's a great picture floating around yeah he's already working with Bruce Bowen, David Robinson, Tim Duncan, and Manu Ginobili. Right. There's a picture of the five of them. Wembenyama is like five inches taller than David Robinson. It's crazy to see this monster of a man and this kid whose tower is over him. And he gets criticized because he shoots 27% from three-point line. Like, that's not the biggest deal. Like, Scoot <laughs> Henderson shoots 27%. Right, he's 6'2". So the point is that, he, of course, that he'll develop and grow. He seems to have every skill level. He also passes extremely well. He does all that, and he's a team player. People love to be around him. Uh, remember, Joker came in the league. He was the 41st player and then developed into the best player in the league. So this is... I, everyone's excited to see him play, and I can't wait. Can't wait for this. So, what happened from here? Because I think there's a little controversy over, not controversy, but just a, a hang-up over who was going to go second. And well, some people seem to think that Scoot would have been a better fit for Charlotte, but instead they took Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller, who I watched play for Alabama last year. Of course, he was involved in the whole controversy because he, one of his friends, uh, Darius Miles, was uh, needed a, uh, wanted, brought his car to him or picked him up, and he, there was a gun in the car, and Miles used the gun to shoot somebody and kill someone, kill a woman, and. Uh, uh, but they never charged Brandon Miller, but it was the whole season it was about him. And it, it seemed to affect him some games. He had some, like a 40-point game. I went, in the NCAA, he looked terrible the last couple of the year. They said it was some injuries. I, I watched Brandon Miller play. I'm not sold on him. I'm not. I don't know if he, but I've seen Scoot Henderson a little bit. I, everyone says, boy, he's, and he went to Portland at number three. And this is the whole thing with Dame Lillard at Portland, whether he wants to be traded, because they said they should trade the third pick, brings a veteran. If Henderson is as good as everyone says he is, then perhaps 
he should stay there because he and also everyone thinks it's a foregone conclusion David Lillard is going to leave Portland but why would he spend three weeks in Portland working out all the players like he supposedly worked out with 20 players so I, he's committed to Portland and everyone says he's got to leave he wants to build it they're trying to figure it out they have new general manager I think they want to make this work out and I don't know I don't think as I don't think he should have to leave if he likes being in Portland and likes the team and wants to go with you know try to make this work and Scoot Henderson is good as everyone says he is I mean Kareem Abdul-Jabbar didn't say oh, I gotta leave the Lakers or draft the Urban Magic Johnson <laughs> I mean the point is that if Henderson is as good then why wait if Henderson's gonna be an all you know superstar already so I don't know I, I, th I thought it was I thought from Portland's perspective and David Lord's the, the the everyone if you turn on TV it's like oh he's got to leave he's got to demand to leave I don't know if he has to demand to leave or not supposedly the rumor is the uh, the brass of the uh, Blazers is getting together tomorrow to discuss the future of, of Lillard. Uh, wouldn't shouldn't you have been talking about this for weeks and years? I think he's going to stay. I really do. But so what happened from here? I know you know as we go down the list, you're very happy with who the Miami Heat picked up. Yeah, I am. I, I thought the one point was that uh, Amon Thompson and Asar Thompson went to Houston, Detroit. Two twin brothers. They were sitting right in front of me, and great. I mean, that's just the excitement and enthusiasm from them when they got drafted, and they're they're just they're tremendous uh, from their story and everything, and then. Orlando picked Anthony Black at Arkansas guard. Um, Washington picked a teammate of Wembenyana, Bilal Kalabi, who everyone likes in France. And the one thing, I think five French players were drafted in the first and second round. France is becoming this basketball hotbed in terms of what they're doing. And then next year, maybe the number one pick could also be from France. So <laughs> we're, we're getting some dominance in France. I was interested in seeing what players are going to make an impact in the teams that we watch all the time. Like the Lakers got Jalen Hutchifino, 6'6 from Indiana. I think like he's someone like they're going to need him in, and they, they because some of these teams with the way the cap works, these rookies are going to have to play from day one. So if you, so there's some teams that will draft the 19 year olds, they can work and develop a G League, but others are going to have to step in. Jaime Haka is from UCLA. He's like a fifth-year senior from UCLA. He's a forward, but he runs the point two, shoots threes. He's a 2023 Pac-12 Player of the Year. I love this pick. People say, well, he'll be a nice bench player for the Heat. He might be a starter on the Heat next year. If they lose Vincent and they lose Struess and Lowry, something happens, he's not injured, I could see him playing a big role for the Heat. I love this pick. He's a great three-point shooter. He plays with anyone who watches say they play. He is fired. And if he, there's ever a Heat player, it's him. He plays with fire and energy, and I absolutely love Pat that. Pat Riley knows what kind of players he likes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that pick. A Golden State pick, Brandy Brand Patasimski from Santa Clara, a guard. And if you watch him, he's like again it's someone who is just perfect for a great three-point shooter for the Golden State system. They're trying to, to put different players in. Cam Whitmore of Houston fell to 20. That was the one one fall. Um, I told you I talked about Prosper who went to Dallas and the family was so excited. But like Denver picks Julian Strothmer from Gonzaga who is in the, with the 29th pick. He might play. I mean, Christian Braun was picked in Kansas in the same sort of situation. He was uh, one of their top seven players at the end of the year. And they also picked Jalen Pickett from Penn State, a senior guard, three-time MAC player of the year. These are experienced players used to playing big-time basketball, so I really like that point. That I like those type of picks. Um, the Spurs in the 44th pick in the second round, Cito Kisoko, I've said that totally wrong, but he's one of Wembenyana's teammates from France, another French player. Um, the Miami players, Jordan Miller went to the Clippers, and Isaiah Wong with a 48th pick, and Isaiah Wong went to Indiana from Miami. And I am saying this. 
I think that Isaiah Wong on Miami, he might get time. Like, he's going to play. Like I, We look at the second round as, oh, throw away. Everybody leaves the arena. After the first round's done, it's empty. Everyone leaves. All the fans leave. They can shut the concessions down. But these players, wow. I think, are going to make make, make – like, the Suns picked Termaine Kamara, Dayton. He was all Big East first team, 6'8". The Suns have no players. Like, they have their four max yeah. players. They're going to have to fill in their roster with the other players. With load management and how these teams – like, Jimmy Butler's going to play 60 games. These players will play 60, 65 games. Trust me, you're going to need to have other players play now. And these are why some of these players that are ready to step in and, and, and jump in. One other player that I want to mention was Keontae Johnson. Remember, we, he played at Florida, and he was injured at Florida with a, with a heart condition. Then he transferred to Kansas State. And people said, oh, his basketball career is over. He was drafted, not in the first round where he thought a few years ago, but still to the Thunder with the 50th pick. So at least he was drafted. But there's just so many players that I see in this draft. And I was more, Drew Timmy, who was the Gonzaga star player, wasn't drafted at all signed by Milwaukee Bucks he can play a big role like you're going to see free agents that are signing and again Joker 41st pick it used to be the NBA you had to be one of those top 10 picks or whatever 13 I don't think so I think some of these players are going to step in and if and either and play a very key role 719 it's Ira on sports this is the true oldies channel got to get to Jonathan Clegg soon but just a couple more little notes here on the NBA you'd mentioned the new CBA is kicking in and this is something that Players and fans might not be, you know, they don't really understand what's going on. Well, it seemed like for the last three negotiations, the owners have been always wanting to get this hard cap, like the NFL has a hard cap. And they they almost, I think, finally got it. There's a one, it used to be like you want to protect yourself against the owners, like Stephen Cohn of the Mets, who are just going to spend, I spent $4 billion for my team, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to spend whatever it takes. The Warriors are spending $500 million this year. But the way they have it set now is there's called a second apron. You're going to hear about this. It's the cap is 136, there's a luxury tax at 165, and there's a second apron at 183. That's going to be the cap going forward because once you sign that, you can't do anything. There's no exceptions. You have to, every player that you sign has to be at that minimum NBA minimum. So really, that if you go over the second apron, you're in trouble. And and, and I think that's what it looks like. That's what's going to be the cap. Now, that's going to be the following year, but you see teams positioning. Now, if they give an example, the Heat are at 178 million. That's why when you see, well, why they leave, leave this player go or this player go or that player go. And I love some of these national talk show hosts say, oh, just pay him. Well, if you pay this person, that means you're not paying somebody else <laughs> so that's the point there is a cap and that's the level so that's where you're going to see is that is is this hard cap the finally the nba has the one now is like um, very much like the nfl with a hard cap uh a lot of talk was going on that perhaps bradley beal was going to be quote taking his talents to south beach and then out of nowhere on his way to uh the suns they decided matashiba paid four billion for his team he's trying to put this together with the four max contracts he's going to be over he's going to be the one team that with a golden state that's going to be over it and they're going to try to pair with duran and booker um see what happens i'm not sold on this pairing i i just i'm not but it's i'm i was concerned that beal was going to go to miami so actually i'm glad he went to the suns a big trade went down three-way trade um between washington memphis and boston Boston's getting Chris Stapps Porzingis, and I think this was a good move for them. I think it was, too. I feel bad for Marcus Smart. He dyed his hair green. He was hard and soul of the team, played defense. But the one thing that you saw when the Heat played the Celtics was that Horford could not shoot. He's a big, can't shoot from outside from threes. And they had Robert Williams, who doesn't shoot. And so, really, they were left without a big who can shoot threes. Porzingis is a phenomenal three-point shooter. And his only problem has been staying healthy. If he stays healthy, then you have a set. He's seven feet. Williams is seven feet. If Tatum and Brown and you have Derek White out there, they think— to go inside on this is yeah they think that this is going to be and the plus with the three-point shooting so as long as he stays healthy i actually think this move could work out and and smart going to memphis 
look, Memphis needed someone with experience to to somehow babysit John Morant. And and I think Smart's going to try. He plays with fire and passion and sort of like that's what they needed. And I think they got rid of Dylan Brooks and bringing Smart in. They wanted a veteran player that is going to somehow, they have all this talent on the team. And I thought that was a good move. I thought it, was a, it could just be a win-win for Memphis and for uh, Boston. Where do we stand with Dame Lillard? Because I know a lot of Miami Heat fans are wanting him to take his talents. He can't Beach. be traded till July 9th. So we might keep hearing rumors, but the way his conduct is set up, he can't be traded till July 9th. And I think they're meeting, they're, they're deciding. I think that's what people are waiting for Lillard to come. And if he doesn't, they'll be disappointed. But the question is Tyler, Tyler Hero. And it really comes down to, it, it. clearly Tyler Hero will be involved in any trade for Dame Lillard. And uh, I just, I don't know. I, don't, I, I really think he's going to stay. I think he'll stay in Portland. Who are the other uh, NBA free agents that we're keeping our eye on? Yeah, it's it's not the year of the big, but it won't be just, it'll be trades too. So it'll be free, like the Lillard is not a free agent, but it'll be a trade. But look, Kyrie uh, Irving is in Dallas. It seems like Dallas is the only one who's willing to pay money. If he wants to go to the Lakers, they take him, but they can't really pay him that much money. Harden with the Sixers, same thing. How much is he worth? Is he going to get the max and all those things? If he, he wants to go to Houston, but why would Houston with a young team take him? And Russell Westbrook at the Clippers, he finally found a home. The Lakers it didn't work out. The Clippers love him, and, but they can only offer him like a three, $4 million year contract. He's made $336 million over. <laughs> Maybe he just takes that one-year deal, stays in the Clippers, because I just don't know where he's going to get the money from somewhere else. We talked about Miami losing Struess and Vincent and Love as free agents. Milwaukee, Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez are free agents. They might lose Lopez and they might not mind losing Middleton. He turned down $40 million. I thought for somebody who's been injured that he'd stay in that contract. The Lakers, Reeves is a free agent. Rui Hachimura is a free agent. D'Angelo Russell, Lonnie Walker, everyone is free agents. I think they bring back Reeves and, and Hachimura and let everyone else go and, and see if like Kyrie fits in there. And the Golden State, Draymond Green opted out of his contract. He's a free agent. The rumor is he'll go back to Golden State. Uh, Boston has Grant Williams, who I think everyone assumes is going to leave. And Denver has Bruce Brown, who played such a big role for them this year. He'll probably leave. And the other big free agents, someone who's been mentioned maybe coming to the Heat would be Fred Van Fleet of Toronto. Uh, he's just a great point guard for that team and Cal Kuzma of Washington. So, but we're going to talk about this next Monday. A lot, it's, it's breaks on Wednesday. You'll start hearing rumors by Friday. The things will get signed over the weekend. And I think by next Monday, as we've known from past, it's sort of like it's all done. So it'll happen real fast. So excited to see what ha what, what happens uh, come Monday. Let's go to Jonathan Clegg here on Iron Sports. It's time to bring in Jonathan Clegg, senior editor at the Wall Street Journal. And Jonathan, so... You're pretty much an expert on when it comes to Lionel Messi. And as everyone here in South Florida knows and across the country, Leo Messi is coming here to join Inter Miami. And this is something, were you anticipating this? I mean, I know there was a lot of money on the table from Saudi teams. Was he going to stay in Europe? Was this even on the radar that he'd be coming to South Florida? I mean, I think it's been on the radar, um, you know, on and off for the last 12 months, I think we knew that there was a, a chance that, um, that that Messi would end up into Miami. Um, but I have to say that, like, the closer we got to decision day, I, I felt like uh, the chances were receding and he was likely to end up somewhere else. We knew that Saudi was um, had a mega offer um, for him and was desperately trying to get him to go there to partner, you know, to, 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 to uh, sort of share the spotlight with Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, in the Saudi League, which uh, has had this huge influx of, uh, of cash this, this last year. Um, and I thought there was also a chance that uh, a reunion with Barcelona could be on the cards. Um, it looked like, um, you know, Messi was sort of keen for that to happen. And, um, you know, I think various people at Barcelona were, were keen for that to happen too. Uh, the issue is that, um, you know, Barcelona is a very 
complicated and complex institution these days, <laughs> um, still heavily indebted from his first spell at the club. And, uh, and so it was a question of whether they were going to be able to get the financials to work. And it looks like in the end, uh, they weren't able to sort of make the guarantees that Messi wanted. Um, and he, he needed to get his future resolved. So um, I think, you know, Miami became the strongest option. So can you speak a little bit on the terms of the magnitude that this has for the MLS? I, I, I saw a stat, and this is just ridiculous, that, that the LA Galaxy's cheapest ticket on opening day is $28. And for when they, you know, play uh, Inter Miami a month later, it's four hundred eighty-four dollars to get <laughs> to get in the door. This is just absurd—the kind of way he's swaying the needle. That's right. I mean, especially as you know, um, he's not the first sort of you know huge global star to come play in MLS at the tail end of his career. Like this is a, a very well-trodden path now, from you know the top leagues in Europe to Major League Soccer. We've seen you know. Obviously, David Beckham, but, you know, Thierry Henry, Wayne Rooney, you know, huge names. But um, I think it just goes to show that Leo Messi and, and um, you know, and, and, and Ronaldo, the two of them really occupy a different stratosphere to any other uh, soccer stars of the 21st century. These two, you know, for the, the better part of 20 years, um, you know, were far and away the best players in the world, ruled the roost, dominated the Champions League picked up the Ballon d'Or practically every year. Um, you, you know, they're so far and away um, the, the, the star players of their generation that, um, you know, it just puts them in a different level of celebrity and a different sort of magnitude to to all those other guys that we mentioned. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, for, for, for soccer in the U.S., this is the biggest deal since, um, you know, Pele was playing for the Cosmos. This is like a huge, um, a huge global star. I mean, he, you know, one of the most famous people on planet Earth has, has decided to come play um, soccer in, in Major League Soccer. And, and um, yeah, I think, I think that those ticket prices you've seen, the sort of astronomical increases in, in, in ticket prices to go see him, um, just speak to that, um, you know, level of celebrity that cuts through mere, you know, sports stardom and becomes, you know, I mean, Messi is a cultural sensation. You know, Jonathan, if I had to choose between playing in the desert or playing in Miami, I think the choice would be easy. And I will talk about, uh, the, you know, the financials of it here in a second. But I, I got to ask you, do you think that the impact is going to be there? I mean, you look at Inter-Miami. They're not a very good football club. Will Lionel Messi, you know, at, at his age, be able to make an impact to, to put this team, I don't want to say championship, but at least, you know, at, at the top of the table? Uh, Yeah. I think so. <laughs> he's 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 old, um, but he's still Leo Messi. I mean, you just saw him play at the World Cup just a few months ago, and he was by far the standout player of the tournament. Uh, basically unstoppable, you know, almost led Argentina single-handed to victory in some of those games. Um, yeah, I think you know if if Messi comes over uh, and he is um, you know committed, enthusiastic, and dedicated to. Um, you know, to, to, to performing at his best, and, and I can see no indication of why he wouldn't be. I think he still wants to play for Argentina for a couple more years here. Um, then, yeah, I think overnight he will turn Miami into uh, you know a serious contender in MLS. He is he is that good, and um, I don't think that he's the last um, new addition to the squad either. So um, I think, yeah, I think I think Messi is one of those guys who his presence on the team automatically lifts. Uh, that team into into title contention, no matter w which league he's playing in. 
Jonathan, this is Ira. Um, your book, we had you on in November. Your book, Messi versus Ronaldo, One Rivalry, Two Goats, The Air That Remade the World's Game. And I think we were previewing the World Cup in terms of what's going to happen at the World Cup. And, and we didn't know. You know Portugal, Argentina, what was going to happen. But you saw you just made a statement about the fact that it was what a run. Um, that final game against France when Messi scored the two goals and assisted and, and just a tremendous game. Just the legend. It's, it's hard to imagine the legend of Messi could grow, but it actually did in that World Cup. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, this was, um, you know, the, the 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 cherry on the Sunday, the the bow on the gift. Like this was the the the, the performance that really uh, Messi, uh, you know, needed to sort of cap his career. I think I think you know, wrote in the in the paper the next day. You know, in some ways, I think he's come as close as any sort of modern athlete has come to you know capping a perfect career. Um, the the, the um, winning the World Cup. Uh, uh, you know, in, in his sort of final, you know, throw of the dice at the tournament, um, the fact that he was sort of so instrumental, it's not like Argentina carried him to the tournament. He carried them. He was the the, the, the main guy. Uh, he scored the most decisive goals. He really led the team from the front. And, um, yeah, so I think I think w- w- when we look back on his career, that World Cup win is going gonna, is gonna, to, you know, cast it in a different light than um, than even, you know, Ronaldo's career. For, for, for so long, those two were, were basically inseparable. Um, but re- really, Messi kind of ended the debate and elevated himself into, you know, the absolute um, rarefied air of, you know, Pelé and Maradona. Um, I think those three now um, are, you know, the, the, the Mount Rushmore of, uh, of soccer. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I didn't really think that after so long at the top that there was anything that, that he could do um, that would sort of transform his legacy so dramatically. Um, but, you know, over the course of six weeks in Qatar, that's exactly what he did. And Ronaldo was having struggles with his coach and how he's going to play and where he's going, how he's going to play. And you mentioned, I saw your tweets and everything about Lionel Scaloni, the Argentinian coach, sort of like really knew how to get the most out of Messi and put the team together. And, and that was, you know, a big benefit to it. But Ronaldo almost sort of, I guess, would, you know, took a step back in the World Cup, whereas Messi then took that big leap step for that forward. Yeah, that's right. I mean, <laughs> in his own way, you know, Ronaldo kind of, cast his career in a different light as well in, in the sort of weeks over the over the course of the World Cup um, and, and not in a good way. Uh, you know, his, the bust-up with Man U on the eve of the tournament, uh, that kind of crazy, uh, you know, two-part special on British TV in which he kind of completely torched his relationship uh, with Man U and, um, you know, demanded his release. The club, you know, basically fired him uh, at the start of the World Cup. Uh, it was a a completely crazy um, series of events. And then, you know, when he actually, you know, sh- sh- turned up and, and performed on the pitch, we saw what was clearly a very diminished Ronaldo. And, and suddenly the reason that he was stuck on the bench at Old Trafford for all those weeks became very clear. You know, this was not um, this was not the, the Cristiano Ronaldo that we remember. Um, and even his own coach uh, on Portugal couldn't deny it for much longer because he benched him uh, you know, in in their most uh, important matches. So, yeah, that that really marks the end of of Ronaldo's career, and um, the fact that it was followed so soon by the move to the Saudi league, which you know, by no means is um, is one of the premier sort of soccer destinations on the planet um, for all the money that they have. Um, that you know really sort of spelled the end of Ronaldo's career. The curtain came down on his career in very inauspicious circumstances, um, and the fact that that was so 
um, you know, diametrically opposed to what was happening to Messi, uh, you know, at exactly the same time in exactly the same place, um, really, you know, sort of heightened the, the contrast between the two of them and, um, you know, made it clear that, that while Ronaldo was done, Messi was still was still right there. Well, I mean, I think, and also the you, met, you raised the contrast between Messi and Pele and Beckham, who came over. I mean, Messi, right. it, it, Messi is. I would, you're not saying he's in his prime, but he is on top of the soccer world, having just won the World Cup. So I think that is a little different than when Beckham. I mean, first of all, he was, he's greater than than Beckham was, and viewed as that, and some of the other uh, players that you mentioned. But the fact that he just came off, it's like if Jokic of you know, or some if you think of an NBA player who, after uh, a number of you know, it's, it's not like Brady at forty something. I mean, Messi is still in his mid thirties and still has some great yeah. years left, and now he's coming over. We're going to get to see. You know, elite talent, not just a, a tour, a farewell tour. That's right. That's right. It's sort of like uh, you know, late Dirk on the on the Mavericks. Like he was still, um, uh, you, you know, he, he sort of aged into a, a kind of new role. And yes, he's not the peak Messi that he was at the age of like twenty eight or twenty nine. But um, I think because Messi's game was built on sort of different attributes than um, you know some other guys who have maybe come over. You know, by the time Henri and Wayne Rooney and and even Beckham to some degree came over, they were you know that uh, their physical attributes were were clearly diminished and they had sort of lost something essential to their games. I think Messi has sort of aged. Um, you know, his game was sort of more well-rounded anyway, and so he's kind of aged a little bit more gracefully, and um, he's able to sort of be uh, as almost as influential as ever despite sort of his, you know, slightly lim more limited physical capacity. He doesn't run as much as he used to. He's probably not as fast as he used to be, but he knows when to use his speed, you know, um, sort of like, uh, you know, how, how Jerry Rice was able to remain so good even, uh, you know, into his 40s because he knew he wasn't as fast as he was when he was, you know, in his prime, but he, he knew he had the sort of subtle um, movements down. Um, his sort of game, craft was, was so advanced that, uh, he was still able to be so, you know, really effective. I mean, the last two years he was at Paris Saint-Germain with Mbappé. I mean, you think there was Neymar, Mbappé, uh, and Messi on the same team. You think, boy, they're going to win everything. Yeah. But we know in the NBA, you put the three superstars together, sometimes it doesn't work out. But it sort of was like he wasn't yeah. embraced by the team, by the club. I mean, you just hear a lot of things coming out of there. So I think he's happy to get out of that after being in Barcelona for almost two decades and now sort of going to that for a couple of years. I think he's relishing the role of coming to Miami where people, I think, was one comment as well, they don't yell at you if you lose. They don't just be messy. Yeah. You know, that type of thing. Yeah, that's right. So I think there's two things going on. I think, you know, at, at PSG, I think he, that first season, I think he was still really shell-shocked um, by the fact that he had left Barcelona. You've got to remember that he didn't want to leave Barcelona. He was basically laid off by Barcelona because they were so indebted they couldn't afford to pay him any longer. Um, that came as a, as a complete uh, hammer blow to him. He was not expecting that at all. Um, laid off from the club where he'd spent his entire life. He hastily went to Paris Saint-Germain, but I think that whole first season was basically a write-off. And I think it was then that some of the sort of uh, ill will from the PSG fans started. The team flamed out in the Champions League in kind of very embarrassing circumstances to Real Madrid. They were really not happy with how things were going. And that kind of lingered on. There was this sense that really Messi maybe wasn't as focused on PSG as he was on the World Cup in Argentina. And then I think when he went and won the World Cup with Argentina and then came back and wasn't performing so well for Paris... Saint-Germain, the, the, the feeling came, the, the feeling sort of grew that maybe he wasn't as committed to PSG um, as they would have liked. Um, and then I think that the other thing that works in Miami's favor is that, like, I think you've seen, you know, with Argentina lately, 
um, that when Messi is kind of, um, you know, comfortable and happy and he's the star of the show and he's able to sort of run things as he wants and everyone, the rest of the team kind of plays second fiddle to him, that like he's very comfortable in that role now. You know, at PSG, there was a sort of awkward marriage between him and Mbappe and Neymar, like you say. Like, which one of them was the star? Was it Messi or was it Mbappe? Um, I think, you know, when he's, you know, clear, when his role is clearly defined, when the team revolves around him, that will make him comfortable. That will make him happy. He's at his best when he's happy. A guy whose game is really, you know, dependent on how he's feeling and his own emotions. And so I think, you know, if Miami surround him with, with, with players who um, kind of know their role, then, then they'll get the best out of him. Um, I was intrigued by the fact that people say he left so much money on the table and for Saudi Arabia and was offering him a huck of $100 million a year. But I've always, um, the philosophy is, it looks like this deal is he has salary of what, 15, 20 million, but he's going to get a, a, a potential ownership of the team. Plus Adidas is going to do something with a shoe where he's going to have his own shoe. And with Apple, with the streaming, when you combine all, the, all that together, that's where, I mean, if, you know, he can make more money doing this than the Saudi Arabia. Look at Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan made all his money from his Nike deal, not from playing for the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, I mean, um, it, yeah, I, I, he definitely can make a lot of money. Whether he'll make more than he could have done in Saudi, I'm not sure because I think some of the sums getting thrown around there were pretty crazy at the end. Um, but, but yes, um, you know, Messi already had a lifetime contract with Adidas um, that, that he signed in 2017. So, um, you know, he was already going to be handsomely by Adidas for the rest of his life. But yes, I think uh, between that and I think the Apple uh, deal is is like super interesting um, because I think there's a world in which uh, Messi's arrival, um, you know, really does make a sort of significant impact on um, on you know that, that those subscription packages and um, and so that yeah that will be that will be very interesting. Also, you know, I think Apple had uh, you know just recently agreed uh, you know a deal to, to produce a, a documentary on Messi, like a full band documentary. So I just think that the sort of you know that partnership with Apple. You know, anytime you get to be, you know, um, embedded and, and, and kind of in a relationship with the, uh, you know, most profitable company in the world, that's uh, helpful. So, um, yeah, I, I think that the, yeah, the, the, the sort of mechanics of the deal are like super interesting. We still don't know exactly everything that's in the deal, but I think once those details come to light, um, it's going to be really fun to sort of drill down on, um, on exactly what's happening. But a very imaginative kind of creative deal um, for MLS. And, you know, I think a, an encouraging sign, really, because, um, you know, these are the, the sort of things that MLS is going to need to do to lure, you know, guys like Messi and, and really the top players in the world to sort of, um, you know, circumvent in some ways the um, relatively, like, low salaries that the clubs are able to offer. It's, it's imaginative deals like this that will en enable them to sign um, you know, re really, um, you know, the top players. When Pele came to America and went to was New York Cosmos and they sold out Giant Stadium, people said soccer is here, but really the foundation wasn't set. There wasn't what we have now as uh, multi, you know, 30 teams with, with most of them having perfect soccer stadiums that were the, were the right size, the passion, the enthusiasm of these fan bases. Soccer is in a much better position now in America to get the, you know, get some the crossover fans, the football fans, the college football fans, the pro football fans, the basketball fans, they're just general sports fans. So he's really coming at a right time and, you know, cresting the wave. And he might be the thing, you know, people talk about Gretzky when Gretzky came to Los Angeles and how that set in motion, putting teams all throughout the South and Nashville's and, and those things in the Florida Panthers because of Gretzky's move. So Messi could, this is, this is really an interesting thing. What will happen, not just for Messi coming, but the entire soccer in the United States. 
Yeah. I mean, the thing is that, you know, that, that um, you know, the North American, like, sports public is, like, super sharp, right? They know if what they're getting is, like, the authentic best thing or not. And because they're, you know, because they are sports fans in the U.S., they are, they are accustomed to seeing, like, the best of everything, right? The best football players in the world play in the NFL. The best basketball players in the world play in the NBA. I think sometimes there's been a perception that the best players in the world do not play in MLS, but there is absolutely no denying that Lionel Messi is, you know, certainly one of the best players in the world and, you know, one of the greatest, uh, you know, soccer players the game has ever seen. So there is no denying that. Everyone who knows anything about sports knows Lionel Messi. And I think, you know, six months after he lifted the World Cup, um, I think his, yeah, his arrival here will be a transformative moment for the league. You know, it, it, like I say, the, the, the question now is, is, is how they capitalize on that and what they can do to ensure that, like, Lionel Messi is not like a, a, a Pele or a Beckham and, and, and it, it actually follows up with sort of a sustained commitment to bring the game's best, play, the game's best players, you know, to the U.S. We've been talking to Jonathan Clegg, author of Messi vs. Ronaldo, One Rivalry, Two Goats, The Air uh, uh, of the World's Game, uh, the, the air that remade the World's Game. And before we let you go, I know that you also are you know, right about Formula One. I'm a humongous Formula One fan. And that must be you know, the fact that the uh, Miami event was so tremendous that everyone's talking about for the second year. And now we're going to have the Vegas event in the fall. Uh, talk about in terms of how Formula One is really taking over the United States. Yeah, actually, it's funny enough, um, uh, Josh Robinson and I are just uh, putting the finishing touches to our book on Formula One, which will be out um, next year, um, which will be called The Formula. And that is uh, literally about that exact topic. Yep, the, the, the um, uh, uh, resurgence of F1 and how that has, um, you know, finally, uh, after years of trying, really started to make inroads in the U.S. And, yeah, I think the Miami uh, Grand Prix was huge in terms of um, putting F1 on the map. Um, the, 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 the guys who took over um, the sport in uh, 2017, Liberty Media, a bunch of U.S. Uh, you know, private equity guys who recognized that the sport was massively under-marketed uh, in, uh, in the U.S. and uh, set about sort of trying to transform F1, make it more um, accessible. Um, the Drive to Survive Netflix series was huge in terms of getting people, um, you know, to know the personalities and, and characters inside the sport. And um, they are they are smashing ratings um, every single time. I think the, 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 the Miami uh, Grand Prix was enormous. The race in Austin last year was um, the biggest, the most attended Grand Prix ever in Formula One history. And they had nearly half a million uh, spectators over the course of the weekend. Um, and I think this this... this Race in Vegas in November is going to be completely crazy. A night race, Saturday night race down the Vegas Strip. Um, I think it's going to be wild. So um, yeah, F1 is that um, they are laser focused on focused on uh, on the U.S. at the moment. I think they have got three races in the U.S. this year. They got one in Canada, one in Mexico, one in Sao Paulo, which makes six races in the U.S. time zone. And they are really committed to um, to trying to crack the market here. Just need an American driver to become a star like Andretti was. I think that would that's the one thing that if you have an American driver, you know, competing at the highest level, that would be a huge boom here in America for the excitement. But it's like again, it's something that I know everyone is waking up here on the, on the East Coast, you know, for the nine o'clock races, the eight o'clock races, watching the pre-show, yep. watching Martin Brundle walk through the celebrity row. It's just how they do it. That's and I think it. the the fact that the races don't last long, like they're only like what an hour and a half, sometimes hour twenty minutes. I think that also helps. It's not like you have to sit there for 
for a NASCAR race for three, four hours and, and watch something, it's, I, I think that helps also uh, the salesmanship of it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think I, they, they are really like focused on trying to make the sport as sort of, like I say, as accessible as possible. I think for years there was this idea that like it was um, it was sort of too technical, like it was very hard to understand. It was very engineering and sort of like STEM focused. And uh, and now they're sort of trying to make it more about the um, the personalities of the drivers, um, you know, trying to get into more of the sort of rivalries between the teams and the, and the, and the guys uh, in the cockpit. And, um, yeah, they're sort of really, really trying to make it as, um, yeah, as sort of uh, accessible to the new fan as possible. Jonathan, we'd love to have you back on the show to talk with, but talk about your formula book. We appreciate you coming on talking about Lionel Messi. Uh, thanks so much. And we're so excited to hear it down here and starting in July. So I can't wait to see what happens when, when he starts playing for inner Miami. Yep. Me too. Can't wait. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks guys. Bye. It's Iron Sports, Trulli's channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. All tied up, two to two. Top of the second right now. Florida Gators taking on LSU. The final game of the College World Series. Bases loaded for LSU. Let's talk a little baseball, Ira. We're about halfway through the season, even though you know the All Star Game's a few weeks away. How's it looking? Because some teams have really disappointed me so far. Yeah, I mean, the two disappointments are the New York Mets. They're 15 games back of Atlanta in the division. You know, they have the highest payroll. And they're eight games back in the wild card. They might not even make the wild card, which people thought that chance was impossible. I keep listening to they're not going to fire Buck Showalter. I think they fire him. I think it could come down this week. Um, they've been performing terribly. Uh, they make so many errors in the field. They're, they're a laughing stock of baseball. And I think I, this is, that's, they've been disaster in the Padres with all their superstars. They're nine and a half behind the Arizona, and they're six and a half behind the wild card. And, and the fact that th there's three teams in the wild card, so really it's almost like the NBA now, like everybody's making it. You really have to be very bad to make it. I, I think the Padres and the Mets are the two teams that are disappointing. And then, of course, we're going to talk about the Yankees. Yeah, the Yankees. Um, Aaron Judge came out today that he might be gone for the season. And as I'm reading through the documents, it looks like that to me. It's a torn tendon in his toe, it, and then he injured in, in, in the Dodgers. And the problem with his it's, a, it's a, with his back foot. So the concern is you bring him back, and he has a bad injury to his toe. With all his injury history, he would hurt his knee. His, his, it would lead to other injuries. So why bring him back if he's not fully healed? So and the Yankees are totally adrift without him. I I think without Judge, I don't think they're making the playoffs. Watch both New York teams not make the playoffs. That would just be <laughs> awful. Um, I mentioned I was at the Marlins game yesterday. Luis, Luis Arise only went one for four, saw his batting average fall to 399. This Marlins team, you got to watch them. They're just fun. They play hard. They've got a stud named Yuri Perez pitched yesterday. He's 20 years old. And the rumors now in Miami media is they're going to shut him down. He's never pitched more than 78 innings in, in a season. So he's approaching that now. So they're saying they shut him down for a month and then either bring him back at AAA or at the major league level. I'm assuming if they're in the playoff hunt, he'll be at the major league level. But something to keep an eye on is they're really building something impressive in Miami. It's tough golf, Ira, because is a winner from this week that I didn't know if I'd ever see in the winner's side again. He's a resident of Jupiter. Right. Well, Keegan Bradley, and it's and it's one of these stories that Nick Taylor won the Canadian Open from Canada. Uh, Keegan Bradley is a Vermont native. He's 37 years old, and he won. And he came on the scene in 2011 when the PGA title PJ Championship and sort of like a Wyndham Clark situation and then after that sort of just uh, he's won events but has uh, won five other events but this really helped him get in the Ryder Cup standings but this was a crazy field in terms of he shot 23 under par he had a six stroke lead after 12 holes and then he had three bogeys almost blew it and uh, but look at the scores everybody was at 19 and 20 and 20 under uh, Roy McIlroy was 18 under shooting like 64 and 64s Justin Thomas rebounded from his bad performance at the US Open he had a 17 under. Ricky Fowler was 16 under, finishing 
13th place. And John Rahm has not been playing well. I mean, he's a lot of favorite going to the British Open in a few weeks. Everybody's been talking about John Rahm. And he hasn't been playing so well, and, and he's getting frustrated. But, uh, boy, congratulations to Keegan Bradley. Big win there at the Travelers. Let's go to John Van Beesbrook. It's Iron Sports. Time to bring in John Van Beesbrook, former All-Star NHL goalie. He's the current Assistant Executive Director of Hockey Operations for USA Hockey. You may remember him as the goalie of our hometown Florida Panthers in their up-until-this-year-only Stanley Cup appearance. First of all, John, i got an important question for you. Can I call you Beezer? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So, Beezer, I was born in 1983 in New York, and mm-hmm. you know your Rangers team's kind of paved the way for my lifelong hockey fandom and I just want to say you know myself everyone I knew growing up a Ranger fan we were super sad to see you go yeah well I appreciate that but they were great years and I wouldn't change it for anything so you were traded to Vancouver as a prep for the NHL expansion draft for people unaware of how the NHL expansion process works teams can only protect a certain amount of people and everyone else goes into a pool, and the new teams can take them. Um, Rangers couldn't couldn't keep you, traded you to Vancouver. They ended up letting you go. So now you're headed to South Florida. Were you excited to finally be the primary backstop for a team? And what was your experience ex- experience like coming from an original six hockey team to an expansion team in an area that's really not known for hockey? Well, it was a challenge. And uh, I remember one challenge there was to create an environment. And didn't think of really too much about you know the personal aspects of it and what would happen to me i just wanted to you know uh, start a new adventure but i didn't know what to expect and but i mean we had um you know some familiar faces down there Uh, one was being roger nielsen who was our coach uh had him with the rangers knew a lot about him so that familiarity led to you know some I, I would say stable conditions. You know, we were a very stable team from the start. So um, stability, it, it allows you to sustain, and, and, you know, we had some success because of it. So it, it, I think most people knew you were probably going to be the, the number one overall pick here in this expansion draft, and it was a coin flip between Florida and, at that time, the mighty Ducks of Anaheim to see who would get you. Did you have a personal preference where you wanted to go? Uh, no, I didn't. I just... Um, you know, I had been to Florida. We had with the Rangers. We had played an exhibition game there uh, the year before, so I knew a little bit more about the Miami Arena than I did uh, Anaheim and in California. Played primarily in the East, so a little bit more familiar. So I would just say, you know, I with the expectations. I think I left the answer on, on a, a then voice machine that we used to use to answer telephones i'm somewhere between florida and anaheim (laughs) you can find me in oklahoma when they get an expansion team (laughs) so speaking of the nhl you know for a long time it seemed like you needed a premier goaltender to win the cup before last year you know andre vasileski who i think you know maybe off a down year i still think he's the best goalie in the league he won it twice in a row then last year you kind of had a duo of lesser prominent goalies darcy kemper pavel francuz then this year aiden hill wins the the stanley cup champion goalie he wasn't even their starter to begin the playoffs do you think that this will become more the norm and teams saying hey we can win it all with just a great defense as opposed to needing one of the best backstops in the game well, I don't think they, the teams that have won planned on it being that way. <laughs> um, you know, it just kind of happens, and you have to, um, you know, make decisions accordingly who's going to give you a best chance to win. I, I think that, I mean, I can point to, 
you know, some teams of the past where, say, the Detroit Red Wings won three cups with three different goalies. And, you know, that didn't happen, but those those guys were Mike Vernon and Dominic Hasek and Chris yeah. Osgood. They turned <laughs> out to be stalwart guys. But, I mean, maybe we're seeing the emergency or emergence of Aiden Hill become a, you know, a real big-time goalie, which happens by getting an opportunity. The Darcy Kemper thing, you know, just that I don't think anybody was beating Colorado last year because yes. they were such a good team. However, you know, uh, Niemi comes to mind who won with Chicago, and we can go over different types of things where it has happened. Is it going to become a trend? Probably not. You need a, you, you need a big time, big cat in there. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, Bobrovsky didn't start this year, but it just showed that when he came on, he gave them, you know, a con Smythe type of approach to the, to the playoffs, which you need. And I, I believe that you need that, the best goalie in the league in order to win. It's interesting you bring up Bob because this this city went from you know wanting to run him out with pitchforks to wanting to build a statue of him in Sunrise. So yeah. you know yeah. I'm so glad that he turned it around. Speaking a little bit on your role as uh, assistant executive director of hockey operations for team uh, for USA Hockey, for a long time Canadians and international players dominated this league. Can you tell us a little bit about ADM, the American Development Method, yep. and speak to how American hockey has come leaps and bounds even in just a decade or two? I mean, in the past few years, we've seen two number one overall picks, Austin Matthews, Jack Hughes, not only be taken number one, but thrive in the league. Kane, before that, what are you guys doing at, at the fundamental level to, to make us uh, at the forefront of the NHL? Well, I'm currently at, in Buffalo, New York right now at our um, Select 17 camp to select a team to go play at the Holinka grensky tournament where we have, you know, 180 players vying to make 23 spots. And, you know, it's though we have a very vast country now with players coming from all over the place. If I show you the list of players and where they came from, you'd be shocked. And, you know, it's just we're getting better players from Florida, from California, Texas, and, you know, our country's big. And so we're getting the numbers. That's number one. But we're also educating the coaches, our coaching education program probably is one of the most widely respected around the globe. Uh, we constantly are asked to go down and, uh, or up or, or over to, you know, lead the global initiative on coaching. So I think we followed some pretty good principles, um, you know, with our six-year-olds to eight-year-olds to 10-year-olds. And, you know, our concepts are proven out with the American development model. It's a model that wants to have every player touching the puck and just not, you know, giving the puck to the best player and have him go down and score a goal, which, you know, used to be the case where somebody could skate through the team. And while that still occurs, we, we, we are aware of it. Uh, it's just a model that, you know, I guess shares the initiative and gets more puck touches and is following principles of really um, a lot of like the European game where you're, you're focused on w- play with the puck, not without it. It's interesting you bring up Florida because, you know, when Jack Hughes was coming up as a prospect, I remember researching him and being like, wait a minute, Orlando, Florida? This can't be – how is this not Massachusetts yeah. or Michigan? Like, Florida has yeah. hockey players? Crazy how the game has grown. Uh, before I turn you over to Ira, I got to just, you know, know from your personal uh, perspective here. Like I said, I'm a New Yorker. Obviously, Rangers, Islanders, big big uh, rivalry there. And two of the best goalies in the league, two Russian guys, happen to play there. Igor Shosturkin, Ilya yeah. Sorokin. 
who would you want for your franchise? Just so I can, if you do say Shesterkin, I can go back and rub it in my Islanders fans' uh, faces. <laughs> well, they both are excellent. Um, I probably would choose Shesterkin um, at this point. Um, I, if you call me back next year, I might change my mind because <laughs> that's how that's how close it is. It's just, um, you know, still probably a little partial to you know to my time with the Rangers and what they've done with the goaltending position because the guy before Shesterkin is going into the hall of fame. Yes. Uh, obviously my partner, Mike Richter, and you can go on to the others that they've done such a great job with. And, and, you know, I mean, it's a hard position to manage. Well, Ira, what do you have for Rob Beezer? Um, I, this year I went to games in Florida at Sunrise. I was in Tampa, L.A., Anaheim, all these southern uh, cities that were not traditional hockey towns. And I was in Carolina uh, right when people are talking about hockey and it's they're not talking about Duke Blue Devils and, and North Carolina Tar Heels. It's just, I think, this emergence of hockey in these markets that say, well, that's not a hockey market. I think, and, and not just doing well, but thriving in Nashville and those cities. That has, and when you go to the games, it's, I see more young kids uh, at these games than I do if I go to a Heat game or a Denver Nugget game or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. You know, Skylar Brindamore, Rod Brindamore's son, was on the NCAA champion Quinnipiac Bobcats this year. And, you know, Skylar basically grew up in Carolina, Raleigh, Durham area. And I point to him because, you know, of the commitment to the area to grow the sport played with Rod Brindamore, obviously a great coach with Carolina, but I mean, also Skyler's road was one where, you know, he didn't play in the best district area and, you know, but stayed there and played with, with people of his age and, and just kind of grew the marketplace. And that's what's happening around the country in places like Nashville, places like Anaheim, you know, and, and the Pacific district probably has the best, uh, group here at the uh, Select uh, 17 Festival and Development Camp, which is a tribute to them. They're you know they they've beaten everybody soundly and uh, you know hockey's big in California, so we're happy about that. Yeah, because it seemed like for years USA Hockey was okay. The Northeast, the Midwest, that's going to be. But of course, right. we have a vast country, so you have all these uh, these areas with super athletes. I mean, you down here in Florida and see that, and and you're seeing people playing. And I think that going to the Panther games uh, really led me to believe, like, wow, these kids are really into this. And this is not just going there and liking the mascots, but they know the rule. I mean, they they <laughs> play it, they talk about playing yeah. it, and I think it's that emergence. The fact that you put the all star game this year how big that the all-star game yeah. how, how popular that was another step in the right direction yeah i mean uh, obviously when the nhl sneezes everybody gets a cold but the you know the big impact on the all-star game and the the emergence of having lots of players playing i mean i think it's their numbers in the, in the state of florida have you know probably on a five-time scale from even when i played down there and my sons were playing uh, in the sport, I think they only had like 10,000 players, which may seem like a lot. Now they have close to 30,000 players. And so when you start looking at the numbers in each state, you'll be surprised at how they're growing from, you know, Washington to New York and the, you know, the non-traditional marketplaces, as you, as you mentioned. We're, we're getting the, the numbers up and, you know, having over 200 players playing in the National Hockey League, um, you know, 
10 American-born players leading their teams in scoring. You know, Matthew Tuchuk, obviously his impact is going to be is going to be a way for the future down in Florida. So, I mean, we're just happy with the trend and the way things are going because USA has arrived. Yeah, I mean, we talk about the miracle on ice and the Herb Brooks and all those. And I think the next time, if, if America wins the gold medal, the, the idea is we don't want it to be a miracle. We want it to be expected. I think that's what you're trying to build with this, is that yeah. uh, that uh, USA is viewed as being elite because because we have the elite players. And it's interesting because in basketball, it's the other way. The international game isn't stepping up so much and challenging the American. You see all these, you know, Jokic and Embiid and all the foreign players that are becoming so great, Giannis. Yeah. Uh, but in, now in hockey, now America, is, it's, it's, it's in the reverse with America stepping up. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the, the world's a little upside down right now without having Russia participate in what's all going on there. But, you know, we are expected to win. We expect ourselves, when I put the coaching staff together and the teams and our groups of people, we expect to go on the international stage and win. And when we do have a best-on-best, best, which is coming in the National Hockey League uh, probably sooner than, than later, you're going to expect the American team to win. And that's what we expect. It's a good goal to have. We have to believe. We're the best believing. We're the best giving country in the world. So why not? And then one other thing is I've noticed now, I'm a big Penn State football fan. I mean, actually in the colleges, I mean, the commitment now you're starting to see in the American colleges in terms of hockey. I, I mean, I have friends, I, I call up and I'm like, well, are you going to go to a basketball game? And they're like, oh, no, we're going to the hockey game. And that's the hotter ticket. I mean, it's more, it's hotter, it's a hotter ticket than even going to the football. So that, I think, has helped a lot of that. And a lot of colleges has become uh, college hockey has really stepped up. It has. And, you know, I mean, we can also point to, the women's side of the game where we have, you know, registration where it's over 90,000 um, registrations with women in the pro side of that coming. And I think the country is engaged. It likes the sport. It's a, uh, it's becoming a safer environment. It's a very clean game and people are excited about it. Um, it may be a hard game from time to time to follow and watch. There's no doubt about that, but, you know, the young kids that play it when they get to 15 years old or, you know, they stick with it because you can go on and play it as an adult. Um, football is a hard game to go on and play as an adult. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> golf, but, you know, not to beat up the other sports. It's just uh, I think people are engaging with it because it's truly fun. Yeah, and I just think I was in Vegas. So you go, I saw the Stanley Cup finals and games in Vegas and games here, and it was great just to go back and forth, and the fans are into it. I mean, I look, i got to give NHL fans credit. When the game starts, they're back in their seats. I mean, the NBA fans oh, yeah. are underneath. I mean, that's why when the third quarter opens, I, I saw the heat for the heat should stop people eating food in the you know in the playoffs, especially the NBA finals. But, you know, the fans are in their seats. They're cheering. They know what's going on. I, I just love it and as, uh, going to yeah. all these different – it just seems like it is really a sport totally on the rise and, and, and not just doing well, but thriving in the Nashvilles and the Vegases and the Floridas. Yeah. So, but I know you're well, super. It's a fast Go game. Ahead. It's a fast game. Um, every minute matters in the game and the intensity. I, I think people really love the intensity of the game. Um, it's not down to the last out, the last minute, the last, you know, uh, formation, you know, or who has the, has the ball. It, it changes quickly. It can change on the dime, and there's a lot of drama there. And we're very fortunate to have the players that have can, can you know, create that momentum in the game. And 
as far as Florida is going, I mean, they're obviously their run was fantastic. And, you know, we, we, we feel like we contributed with, you know, um, with, with Keith Kachuk, a father, a great player, a hall of famer, and then having his son leading the way there, his brother, Brady, you know, we, we have some really great American-born players playing in the National Hockey League, and we're very proud of it. And what a clutch performances. I mean, those that's the one thing you just mentioned about hockey, about the goals. It's one of those games where you find yourself just holding your breath because it's like, you know, I'm like, I think I just held my breath for three minutes because one team goes down, like you say, where they're playing Carolina. They'll go and they'll have a, a, a rush. And then Florida has the rush. And then you're back and forth. And each goal, you know how the value of each of that goals matters. And I think that's what makes it so exciting. Yeah, I agree. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate you coming on. I know you're super busy, and best of luck with USA Hockey and uh, and you know spreading this great game. Be well. Thank you. Ira on Sports Troll, the channel on Mike Balsamo. End of the second inning, 6-2. to two, LSU on top of the Florida Gators in the, fi- on the finale of the College World Series. What are you doing this week? Um, nowhere. I don't <laughs> think there's any plan to go anywhere, so uh, we'll see. We're just going to gear up for, you know, we've been talking different sports, you know, just getting ready. I think I'll do some studying for my fantasy football. I've already bought one of those magazines. I'm <laughs> mapping out all those things, so I'm excited to watch a lot of baseball. Wimbledon start next week, so this is a still very exciting time in sports. We're out of time. Thanks so much to Jonathan Clegg, John Van Beesbrook. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.